are you doing today? I want to welcome those of you on our campus, those of you online. This is our last week in a series called Jesus Asks. And we've been talking for a number of weeks about questions that Jesus asks. Now, here's what's sort of interesting. If you read the Gospels, he is asked, Jesus has asked about 183 questions, to which he only really answers three of those fully. But he asks over 300 questions. 300 questions that uh, sort of cut to the heart. They go below uh, the surface of our lives. They, they get to the heart of the issue. And there's questions like, do you understand what I have done for you? Jesus, uh, after he washes the disciples' feet in the upper room, he says, do you understand what I've done for you? And he says, I've loved you and I've served you and I want you to experience my love, but then I want you to go and offer my love to the world and serve the world. He asks a question like, who are my, who is my mother? Who are my brothers and my sisters? And, and, and he says, anyone who does the will of God is part of my family. And he redefines in a, in a way what spiritual family, expands the definition of family and, and invites us to live in community with each other. Uh, we're going to look at an interesting question today, but before I get there, I want to ask you a couple of my own questions. Here, here's a couple questions. Have you ever done something good, something loving, something kind to help someone, and nobody seemed to notice, and no one said thank you? I mean, I, I, I fixed, fixed breakfast a few weeks ago, and everybody woke up, and four people ate my food, and nobody even recognized it, and I'm like, I mean, I know your mom does this every single day, but I did it once. <laughs> Couldn't somebody say thank you? Or maybe it's like around here, setting up some tables for a meeting or picking up trash when people forget to pick up trash. Church staff does that sometimes. And I'm like, I can't even believe nobody said, thank you so much for setting this room up for picking that trash up. The nerve of people, can you believe that? I mean, the question I really wanna ask is, were you motivated, was I motivated by doing the good thing or was I motivated by trying to get a thank you? Uh, here's another question. Have you ever had a moment when you asked someone to please do something, and instead of just simply doing it, they asked you questions about it that frustrated you? They eventually ended up doing it, but not necessarily the way that you wanted them to, and you didn't personally like the questions. So, were you actually asking them to do it, or were you telling them to do it co cloaked in a question? You know, parents, it's the old, just do what I tell you to do. Why? Because I'm your parent. <laughs> it's not always a good answer. It's not always very helpful. But, but I wonder, what's motivating the things that we do? Why do we do what we do? What, what's motivating you in life right now? And I don't mean on a Sunday morning. I don't mean what's your church answer. I, I, I mean like Monday morning when you wake up. What motivates you to do what you do? Why are you going to work? Is it just for a paycheck? It's like, I'm going to get paid. Because if I don't, they're gonna take my car, my house, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to get good grades. Why are you going to get good grades? Is there a deeper purpose maybe you're being invited into? And I don't wanna talk, like I said, this isn't a sermon for Sunday mornings, this is for Monday morning, but it's also for Saturday morning on a day off with free time. You could do whatever you wanna do. Why do you choose to do what you choose to do? Well, like, what's motivating it? What's at the heart of that? Sometimes we live by external 
extrinsic, external motivations, things like reward. We're going to get rewarded if we do something, we do that. Or, or, or threat, somebody's threatened us, do this or else. Sometimes we live by intrinsic, internal motivations. Sometimes it's fear. We do stuff because we're afraid. Sometimes it's because of desire. And I want to aim at that today. Desire. I want to talk about desire and how when our desires are in the right place, here's what we will learn and we'll remember and it'll make all the difference. The thing that is motivating you the strongest is the thing that you value the greatest. And if we, as long as we value something that's truly great, our desires are aligned behind that. That's what we'll talk about. So if you have a Bible, grab it. If you have a, a tablet, a phone, whatever, uh, Matthew chapter 20 is where we're going to be. For the most of our time, then we're going to end in Philippians chapter two. Matthew chapter 20 and then Philippians chapter two. And, and I just wanna warn you, hold on, Philippians two will be the best thing we read or talk about all day, so just get ready. That part is coming in just a little bit. Matthew chapter 20, uh, just wanna set this up with what happens right before that. Right before we're going to read in verse 20, Jesus tells his disciples, the 12, 12 disciples, for the third time, they're going to Jerusalem and he's saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified, I will die, and on the third day I'll be raised again. Get ready. It's that kind of message. It's a get ready. It's a, it's a sobering kind of message. It's laced with hope, and it's got victory in it, but they're suffering along the way, and he's saying, get ready, guys. Verse 20. Then, just after this announcement, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. So, so maybe try to picture this. Like this is James and John. This is uh, their mother, the mother of Zebedee's sons. James and John are brothers. They're in Jesus's circle. His inner circle is Peter, James, and John. James and John are brothers. The sons of thunder is their nickname because at times they're bold and they're courageous. Well, now they're with mommy. And mommy's got a request. And so she comes to Jesus. Literally, it says she's kneeling down and she's asking a favor. She's asking a favor of Jesus. And Jesus asks her a question to start. What is it that you want? Now, that word want is your, your will, your, your desire. What is it you think that will truly make you happy? What is it you're asking, you're desiring, you're craving in life? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left, this is important, in your kingdom. So there's at least two things she gets right. Number one, she thinks Jesus has a kingdom, meaning she thinks he's the Messiah. Uh, in, in kingdom language, meaning there's, there's in Jesus, he's ushering in uh, help and healing and love and grace. He's ushering in the, 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 the preaching of the kingdom of God, which is repent. Turn from your sin and turn to God. Believe, trust in God. So she, she's got that right. She believes in the kingdom. Secondly, she evidently believes Jesus is going to fulfill everything he kept saying that he's going to fulfill. She's saying, I believe you're going to be ruling and reigning in your kingdom. But here's the problem. It's the third thing. She thinks her sons deserve to sit at his right and his left. This is an audacious claim. Like, think about this. She thinks out of every single person who has ever lived in history, her sons, James and John, should be at the right and left hand of Jesus. Who does she think she is? Well, she's a proud mama. She thinks her boys are the best boys that have ever been. I mean, the truth is she thinks like a lot of us think she's just a few degrees out ahead of us. And we're like, you're crazy, woman. But not altogether that crazy because some of us think we've got the best kids that have ever lived. 
So she's asking this request that, that is, it's audacious. And it reminds us that two-thirds of Jesus' inner circle in this moment obviously didn't get who he was or what his kingdom was about. They, they weren't there yet. They, they still had a long ways to go. They're, they were on a path that wasn't Jesus' path. They, they were on a path of pride. And as we read through this passage, we'll see four things on the path of pride, four sort of uh, positions and postures that will lead us astray. The first one is, is seen here. They're in a power play position on a path of pride. They're in a power play. They're, they're powering up. And, and what I mean by this is power play position is, is sort of, it's all about who you know. In order to get ahead, it's all about who you know. And leveraging and, and manipulating relationships for your own benefit. Because they're on, in the inner circle of Jesus, because of their close connection with Jesus, they're leveraging that opportunity for their own benefit. They're not thinking about anybody else but themselves. And they're gonna power play, they're gonna use this, and mom is their hype man. And she's going out front, and she's like, my boys are awesome! And she's in a posture of worship, kneeling down, saying, come on, Jesus. This is like the original, this is the OG college admissions scandal. <laughs> she's doing whatever it takes to get her kids ahead, and she doesn't care who's left in the wake of it. And it is funny, but it is sad when we think about how do we do that so subtly in life. Because in, in her day, in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire was filled with this kind of an example. You leverage every relationship for what you can get out of it. You manipulate people so you can get what's best. You deserve it. You're entitled to it. And she was walking in the ways of the world. It was every person for themselves. Mark 10 also has this story, and in the Mark 10 story, it's James and John doing the talking, and, and what they say is, Jesus, we're gonna ask you a question, but we want you to do whatever we ask of you. I mean, like, that's childish behavior, right? That, that's like coming, Mommy, I got a question for you, but I just want you to say yes first. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. Not in our house, not in the real world, so no, we're not gonna do that. Let's just be honest, though. Just, just maybe pause for a moment and think. Is there something that you can think of that you're asking or have asked of God? And you're like, if I'm honest, that is selfish through and through. That, 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 that's a power play. I'm, try, I'm trying to play with God in that moment. Look at verse 22. Oh, well, first of all, Jesus says, what is it you want? What do you want? He's trying to get to the heart of the issue. Verse 22, Jesus responds to this request to sit at the right and the left hand, and he said, you don't know what you are asking. That's Jesus' version. Aaron would have said, who do you think you are? What are you doing? He says, you don't know what you're asking. And he asks another question. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? Throughout the Old Testament, cup is a metaphor for suffering. In the ancient world, cup was just a general metaphor for your destiny, your lot in life. And Jesus is saying, do you, do you think you can walk the path of suffering that I'm walking? Do you, do you think your destiny is to be my destiny? Do, do you think you deserve that? Do you, do you think you can handle that pathway of suffering and sacrifice? And they say, we can. We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. He's like, you, you, you can't handle it fully, so you can sip. You're gonna have a taste. 
But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my fathers. Jesus hinting at as a fully human and yet fully divine person, he also laid down some of the rights to himself. He always said, I do the will of the Father. He walked humbly and, and sacrificially, and he, he led this way his whole life. If, if a power play is one pathway, another pathway is blind ambition. That we're being mourned about blind ambition. Jesus says, do you think you can drink the cup that, that I have? Do you think you can walk and, and live the, the life that I'm going to live? And they say, we can. They can't. And neither can you. And neither can I. And that's why Jesus went all the way to the cross on our behalf so we can live a life with him. We could never live without him. We can die a death in him with hope and confidence. Nothing can take that away from us. And so blind ambition says, I can do it, or I deserve it, or I'm entitled to this. It's excessive self-confidence. We can drink that cup. Jesus, come on, give it over. And Jesus says, well, in fact, you know what? You're going to taste it. James is the first Christian martyr. John is the first exile of the New Testament, exiled on the island of Patmos, because eventually they did mature in their faith. Eventually they did grow up, but in this moment, their blind ambition is on full display. They can't handle what they think they can handle, and that's okay. God didn't ask them to. He simply wanted them to trust and follow him. Look at verse 24. When the 10, the 10 other disciples, when the 10 heard about this, I think they're watching the whole thing go. They're listening to every word and their jaws have dropped. And when they heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They're furious. Why do you think they're furious? They're furious, I think, because they're so jealous competitiveness, jockeying for position. There's other accounts where the disciples are arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine that? Actually, yes, you can. We may not be quite as bold and out front, but, but we compete, we jockey for position and attention. We wanna be seen or heard or thought of as respectable or mature or spiritual or successful or whatever. The disciples are jockeying back and forth for this. Look at verse 25. So now there's a teachable moment. Jesus calls a family meeting with the disciples. Disciples, sit. He called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. There's those two last paths of, of pride that we walk if we're not careful. First of all, there's a power play. There's a blind ambition. Second, there's a top-down attempt to control. That's where the just do what I say comes from. Just do what I say because you're trying to control your like top down, whether that's a position of authority or, or, or you just think you're in authority. I mean, have you ever had a bossy boss? You don't have to raise your hand. Have you had a person who thought they were your boss and they were just bossy, but they were a coworker or even a subordinate, and you're like, why are you so bossy? Have you ever had a friend who always wanted their way and to do their thing? Because they always had to be in control. Why won't you just do what I say? This is a leadership style. It's a way. It's positional power on one level. But it's also the person who thinks they're smarter than everybody else, so people should be listening. 
It's a, it's a top-down attempt to control, but can I just remind us, we cannot really control much of anything or anyone. Even that is the illusion of control. He says, the Romans, the leaders around you, they attempt to lord it over. That's it, that's that top down trying to control. And they could because they were the Roman Empire. But let me just tell you, it didn't last forever. The temporary power and the temporary control they thought they had did not last forever. It doesn't work that way. Jesus also says, you know, the Gentiles lord it over, but they also exercise authority. And this is that striving for influence, to have influence. I don't know if you know this, but there's, our, there's surveys out there of young people right now being asked, what do you wanna be when you grow up? And they say, an influencer. It's a real deal now. It's a real deal now. And it only has a different name from what we used to call it. We just wanted to make a lot of money maybe, or we wanted to have a high profile job where everybody looked at us like we were the boss and in charge. They're just blatantly saying it, I just want influence. And there's a warning here that that's a path of pride because if you're not careful, if you have influence, you may abuse the influence. There's a great and a powerful positive use of influence, but we must be careful not to abuse because what's being warned about here, the exercising authority is, is wielding it over someone for your own selfish means. It's not just power as we think about it in terms of I speak and everybody listens, do this. It's also when you're enamored with somebody, entertained with somebody. It's a power of personality, of intellect, success, or charisma. Right now, I'm about 42 miles from downtown Hollywood. There is an allure of influence that is subtle and yet seductive. And Jesus is saying, be careful about those who exercise their authority. Use their influence for all the wrong reasons in all the wrong directions. And it's not just about them out there. It's about us in here that Jesus is saying, watch out. So you're not James or John or their mother saying, here's my moment to leverage it for my good. Jesus is not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Well, what Jesus is saying is there, there is a different kind of a path than the, the path of pride. There's a different kind of a way. He, he asked or, or says a statement, whoever wants to be great. Now, here's what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, whoever wants to be great, whoever wants to be a leader, whoever wants to have power and influence and make a difference in the world, how could you? How, who do you think you are? He says, whoever wants to be great must, that's an imperative, that means it's a command, must be a servant. All he does is redefine, here's what greatness is. If you wanna be great, then you must be a servant. A servant is a, is a Greek word where we get our English word deacon. It, it literally is the lowliest of all servants in the ancient world. It's the person when people would come in off of the dirty street, they would wash the dirty feet. It's the person who would scrub the, the, the floor and nobody ever thanked them. Nobody ever said, good job. It was just expected you would be a servant. And Jesus says, if you wanna be great, you must be a servant. He said, my path is different than the path of this world. Jesus' path is different than the path of pride. Now, I grew up in North Carolina in this small little church, and we had deacons. Anybody else grow up with deacons in your church? 
Somehow in, in my church, I think deacons became synonymous with who's in charge, not who served the most. Things were upside down from Jesus' world and Jesus wants to turn them back right and say, no, no, if you wanna be great, you must be a servant. He, he goes on, you wanna be first? You wanna be chief? You wanna be in charge? You wanna be the leader? Okay, if you wanna be chief, if you wanna be first, you must be a slave. Jesus says, if, if you're going to do this and fo follow this pathway of, of following Jesus, then you're going to have to give up your will in order to accept the will of someone else, be a slave. You're gonna have to give up being a slave of sin and become a slave of God. Uh, give up becoming a slave to things that rob you of life, steal and kill, and, and become a slave to God because God wants to give you life. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you hope. He wants to fill you with grace. He wants to give everyday meaning. But there's gonna have to be a trade-off. You're gonna have to make a decision. You must be a slave. So being what God would say is a great follower of Christ looks like to us being a servant, being humble. Being or living by putting God first in life looks to others, to us, as what we would call selfless, sacrificial living. Look at the next verse. This is probably the most important verse of this passage. Verse 28 just as, so it's a comparison, it's, a, it's an example given for us, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. Now, you've, you've gotta understand what this is like. This is Jesus who the Jewish people believe, you're the Messiah, you're God come in human form. And back in their day, they had Greek mythology, they had Roman mythology, they had all these other gods. In India today, there are 300, I think, and 30 million gods they worship. I don't know that there's one other God in all of history, quote unquote God, in all other history that says, I am not coming to be served so what you can do for me. I'm coming to serve you. This is what I want to do for you. There's not one God in Greek or Roman mythology that we read about being a servant and always putting other people ahead of themselves. They say, I'm a God, serve me. Just watch the Marvel movies. Jesus said, I am God and I have come to serve you. I've come to lay down my life for you. I have come to lay down my preferences. I've come to lay down my rights. It's not about what I get out of this. It's about what I can do for you. And Jesus said that all the way to the cross. And he said, if you're my follower, if you're gonna follow after me, you must be a servant. You must be a slave. He says, I come to serve and to give my life as a ransom. See, this is not just about Jesus being our example, which it, it is that in part. That's why after he washes the feet, he says, follow my example. Serve each other as I have served you. But it's more than that. Jesus said, I am a ransom, meaning I am a price that is paid to redeem people. I, I, I'm a price. His life is a price that is paid to set us free. Jesus died his death so that we don't have to die for our sins. Jesus lived his life so that we can live our lives full of hope and confidence in him. Jesus came to take our sin on himself on a cross so that we could be forgiven and free. A ransom. He paid the price. It's not just an example, although it is that. It's also the very way to life. 
to flourishing and fulfilling life in this world. He says, I was a ransom for many. This is, the good, this is the good news for everybody who would turn to Jesus. It's not just a select group. It's anyone who would look to Jesus, anyone who would repent and believe and turn to Jesus and give them life can be ransomed, can be redeemed, can be forgiven, and can have the life he died so that we could live. It's the model that he gives for us, that he invites us into. This is one of those moments for us to just maybe sit back and think, that's what Jesus did for me? That's what Jesus did for us? If Jesus did that for me, if Jesus did that for us, then, then what does that mean? What are the implications for our lives? Philippians chapter two is probably the most succinct description of what this means for our life. Philippians chapter two is a place where the apostle Paul is writing to this church in a city called Philippi, and he's saying, if this is true, if this is who Jesus is, that he came to serve us and, and to give his life as a ransom for many, then this is how we are to live. Chapter two, verse one, Paul writes, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, anybody find encouragement because of who Christ is for you? If any comfort from his love, has anybody ever felt all alone and you're comforted because you know God love you, loves you and Jesus is with you? If any common sharing in his spirit, anybody ever had the spirit of God just encourage and lift up their heart in a moment of hardship in your life? If any tenderness and compassion, that, that God has been compassionate towards us, we talked about this last week. If there's any tenderness or compassion, so get it, it's if, 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 then then make my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Then pursue unity. Pursue each other above yourself. Verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition? I mean, when there's only one piece of cake left and it's in my house, I gotta say no to myself so somebody else can eat the cake. I, let's not take it too far out of context. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. That's, that's what I was talking about. The motivations are a value proposition. What do you value? And most of the time, if we're being honest, we value ourselves more than anybody else. And so Paul says, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. If each of us starts looking out for the interests of the others around us, then what we realize is nobody really has the kind of needs they had when we were all living selfishly. Each of you look out for the interests of others. And when you hear about somebody has a need, when you hear about somebody's hurting and you're like, I'll, I can help, I can serve. And before long, there, there's not as many people who feel isolated. There's not as many people who are disconnected. There's not as many people who are wandering aimlessly in a season of life saying, I don't have any purpose. There's nothing going on. And the church has been closed for the last number of months. So God's not on the move. God is on the move. God has been on the move. Churches being in the middle of a pandemic doesn't stop God from being on the move. And you having a hard season doesn't stop God from still having purpose for you. Right now, nothing else has to change. God has a purpose for your life. The, the question is, the question is, will we allow our hearts to be transformed even in a difficult moment of our life to say, God, even in this, 
Even in this, I'll follow you. Even in this, I'll serve you. Uh, Don't look out your own interest, each of you to the interests of others. Verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Pause there. In your relationships with each other, have the same mindset of Jesus. So what Paul's getting ready to say is all about Jesus, but here's what he's saying. Even though this is all about Jesus, this is how in every single relationship, what relationship? Every one of them. This has the power to transform your marriage if you'll listen. Well, not just listen, if you'll do what you hear. This has the power to transform your friendships, your your neighbor relationships, your working relationships, your classmate relationships, if you will listen and do what Jesus says. If I will listen and do what Jesus says. So we believe that this is a hymn that the church sang in in the early, early days, that they sang this starting in verse six through verse 11. This is Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is what Paul says. This is what the church sang. They said, this is who Jesus is. This is how he came to earth. He abandoned all of those qualities that could have been to his advantage. He disadvantaged himself for our sake. He took the nature of a servant. He went from God most high to servant most low. Be made found in human likeness. He humbled himself. He became obedient, obedient to death. Cost him everything, even death on a cross, which is just a reminder, because we don't know this, how excruciating death on a cross was. Even death on a cross. Because he humbled himself and followed the path of God perfectly, God exalted him to the highest place. Because of this, he has a name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus Christ is Lord isn't just an intellectual declaration. It's a wholehearted, whole life commitment. We will follow you. We will follow you in every way. That's why Jesus said, Just as I did. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, so I want you to be filled with my love. Jesus said, I came to serve you. Anybody in a season of grief? Jesus came to give you comfort. Anybody in a season of anxiety and you just feel it bubbling up? Jesus came to serve you with his peace. Anybody in a season of questions and doubts, Jesus came to say, even in your questions, even in your doubts, I'm with you. Anybody in a season of struggling with sin, maybe you're in the middle of an addiction and you don't know where to turn, Jesus came to break the chains that are holding you back and to set you free. Anybody struggling with guilt and regret, Jesus 
came to say, I want to separate your sin from you as far as the east is from the west, and you're clean, forgiven. He came to serve us. And as we learn that he served us, it results in an expressions of worship and expressions of love and expressions of service to other people. Our, our motives are changed. It's not just on the surface that our lives are transformed. The reason we do what we do, our why, our W-H-Y, our why is transformed to say we want to live like Jesus. We want to follow his way he did not come and live and teach and suffer and die because we deserve it. We're not on these paths of pride where we're like, I'm gonna power play. I'm gonna get close to Jesus for what's in it for me. No. It's not just about what we can get from Jesus. It's about being close to Jesus. It's not about blind ambition saying, I deserve this, I've earn this. It's no, according to scripture, none of us want to get what we have deserved truly. We want grace. We want grace. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's grace. We, we don't want to be in this power position where we think, well, you just do what I say because I'm in control of things. You're not in control of much of anything, if you're being honest. And we don't want to look for influence that we potentially will waste on ourselves, we, we would rather be transformed that if we do have any influence, we use it for the good of others and the glory of God. And that makes all the difference. We don't deserve it, but we have access to things through Jesus we never could have had on our own. 11 years ago, my family took a, a make-a-wish trip for my daughter. And, and we ended up going to Disney World because isn't that what every five-year-old kid with Make-A-Wish Foundation asks for. Well, because we lived in Arizona, Make-A-Wish partnered with the Kurt Warner Foundation. Kurt Warner had been Super Bowl, I think, MVP quarterback for Arizona. He, he took families from every place that he had played football on a partnership trip with Make-A-Wish. So we went to Disney World with Kurt Warner. That's at least my story. <laughs> so on the very first night, uh, we, we arrive at, this, uh, at Disney World at this dinner I'm holding Kate in my hand, and we're in like a welcome line to meet Kurt Warner. I mean, it's MVP Super Bowl quarterback Kurt Warner. I was just a little bit excited. And I'm, I'm holding Kate as we walk in. She's five, six years old, just turned six. Um, and so we get up there, and, and Kurt looks at, at Kate and I, and he says, Kate McCray. We didn't even introduce her. He's like, Kate McCray, I've heard so much about you. And she looks at me, and she said, who's he? <laughs> I was like, man, we should have prepared her better. So we explained, this is Super Bowl MVP quarterback and the Jock Jams music was playing in the background. It was like an introduction music. No, it's just like, this is Kurt and, and you know, whatever. So a few minutes later, they're trying to have this welcome to the night, this really fancy dinner. And Kate's like, dad, I want to ride a ride. I'm like, hey, this is a welcome night. There's a fancy dinner. We're going to sit down. Dad, I want to ride a ride. I'm like, Kate, we can't ride rides. We're here for the dinner. Dad, I want to ride a ride. And I mean, it's just relentless. I'm like, babe, listen, we got to sit down and we got to eat dinner. Dad, I want to ride a ride. I'm like, when you've suffered through the kind of chemotherapy and radiation that girl's been going through, like that girl needs to ride a ride. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't have any power. And then I'm like, but I know Kurt Warner. <laughs> I know Kurt Warner. So I'm like, Kate, come here. I swoop her up and I'm walking over there. I'm like, Kurt, you know, 
I know we're not supposed to be riding rides. I know we're here for a dinner, but Kate really wants to ride a ride right now. Do you think there's any way possible? And I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. And he's like snapping his fingers. I don't remember what he did, but like all of a sudden, if you know Disney, there's these people in these like plaid vests that show up and they're like next level, get you access to anything. He's snapping his finger. Four of those are like, follow us. What ride would you like? They're all wide open to you and you don't have to wait in any line, front of line anywhere. And I'm like, oh, all I had to do was ask? <laughs> wow. We don't deserve opportunities much of the time in life. We don't earn things like that that can be freely given. If I were to said, I'm Aaron McRae, I'm Kate McRae's dad, we want to ride a ride, they'd be like, who are you? But I'm like, Kurt Warner says, they're like, yes, sir, can I help you? How much more so in the name of Jesus, if we are going to find hope and fulfillment and purpose in our life, it's not coming and saying, I'm Aaron, open up those doors. It's saying, in the name of Jesus, in the will of Jesus, by the strength of Jesus, I want my life to make a difference and not be wasted in the name of Jesus. I want his kingdom to come, his will to be done, not mine. It's not about pride and the pathways of pride that would derail us looking for attention or recognition or, or, or what we can accomplish. It's us saying with my time, with my talents, with our opportunities, Jesus, we want to serve you because you've been so good in serving us. Have your way. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we need you in these moments. We're desperate for you in these moments. I believe there's some that are listening to me pray right now. They don't even know you. They've never given you their life. God, I pray right now, maybe they would just turn to you in a simple prayer. Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, forgive me. I give you my life, Jesus. There's not magical words to pray, but if, if today you would just declare, I need Jesus. I've been running from God or I've been faking a relationship with God, but today is the day to get serious and you would just say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. For the first time, somebody is praying that prayer today. For the first time, you're, you're, you're saying it and you mean it. You don't have all the answers. You don't have it all figured out, but you know that much. You need Jesus and you need forgiveness. You need grace. And Jesus has all the forgiveness and grace you would ever need. If that's you and for the first time ever today, you're just saying, Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me. I give you my life. I wanna pray for you. Would you just raise your hand if you're in this room or if you're in the chat, say, I prayed that prayer. Just raise your hand. If you prayed for the first time, Jesus, I need you. And I pray God's blessings over you. I pray God meet you in this moment. I pray his forgiveness and grace and hope would fill you right now. Others of us, if we're going to be honest, we would have to say, yeah, maybe you know Jesus or have a relationship with Jesus, but been living for yourself. Been very consumed with 
yourself. You don't want to sacrifice for somebody else. You don't want to lay down your preferences or your rights. You want to fight for your rights. But, but Jesus is saying, I, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And the Spirit of God is convicting you, just saying, you need to be a servant. You need to let Jesus serve you, but then you need to serve others. And maybe you're here and you would just say, Aaron, pray for me. You're watching online. You'd say, Aaron, pray for me. I, I need to be a servant. And I'm just gonna pray, Jesus, help us to be a servant. If that's you, just raise your hand. Aaron, I need to be a servant. Jesus, help me be a servant. Just raise your hand if that's you. Yes. God knows our hearts in these moments. And we just say, Lord, we, we don't wanna waste our lives and we don't wanna be selfish with our lives. We wanna honor you in every way. And we wanna serve. We know service starts at home, but we also know that service is part of what we do as a church. At home, I'm, I'm a part of a family and I have a wife and three children to serve, but I'm also a part of a church. And, and if I'm a part of a church, it's for a purpose to serve others, to use my gifts and talents and opportunities to be a blessing to other people. So we wanna be those kinds of people, but we're also in a city. So we wanna be the kind of people that serve our city and help those who are hurting in our city, in our neighborhood. So God, give us eyes to see those who are hurting and in need. Give us hearts of compassion for those who are hurting and in need. Give us courage and boldness to step into it because we remember this, that you, Jesus, obedient to death, you, Jesus, humbled yourself. You, Jesus, died on a cross. You, Jesus, are highly exalted. The name above every name. At your name, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. Jesus Christ, you are Lord. You are Lord, not just as we say it, because we do believe it, but you're also Lord as we live it out. And we go in your name and in your power. And we sing these truths, but we also want to live these truths. You are worthy. So it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.